Good to have you here tonight. You know what I loved uh, about our worship? There's a lot of Jesus in that tonight. Not that there's not a lot of Jesus in all of our worship, but... And, 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 and why I say that is because we're in a passage tonight that's just reminding us we can't get too much Jesus. Right? Can't, can't get too much Jesus. Right? So that's where we're at tonight. Here's what I want us to do tonight. Some, some of you are visuals people. When I was a little kid growing up in church, the church that I grew up in was actually a church of the brethren. Many of you probably, what's a church of the brethren? Aren't we all brethren anyway? But it, I, I tell people it sort of was a cross between the Mennonites and the Quakers and the Amish, sort of somewhere in there. Uh, and the very first pastor that I can remember when I was a little child, one of the things that he would do is every couple months he would have like a, a children's story as part of Sunday morning. And before the children went out to their class, he'd call all the little children up on the, the stage and he'd sit down with us. And, you know, I can remember like, you know, sitting in a circle around, around the pastor and listening to a story. Well, I got to thinking about tonight. I don't want you to see me at all. I never want you to see me. I want us all tonight to just picture just sort of like huddling together around Jesus, the master teacher. And just being like that little child and coming with that little child's heart and just saying, you know, Lord, I, I want to hear what you have to say tonight. Now, obviously, Paul's the one who's writing this letter, but we must never forget that it's, it's the word of God. It, it's coming directly from God to us. God is speaking to us tonight. And what he wants to talk to us tonight about is a Christ-centered life. What does a Christ-centered life look like? Because throughout this book, where Paul has talked to us about fighting for joy and about living out the joy that we can have in the Lord, it really comes down to our relationship and our fellowship with Jesus. I mean, Paul says in chapter 1, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, I just want Christ to be exalted in my body. It was all about Christ. And so now I want you to go over to chapter 3, and I want to begin reading tonight in verse 7, because we're just going to cover verses 7 through 11 tonight. And we're going to sort of pick it up in, in the middle of where Paul is saying, and we left off with this last week, if religion would have worked for anybody, it would have worked for me, and it didn't. I needed something beyond striving to be a good person and, and trying to live up to the letter of the law. That, that didn't work for me, and if it didn't work for me, it can't work for anybody because no one was more law-abiding, no one was more moral, no one was more strict to the law than I was, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But now notice what Paul says about his religion and his religious activity beginning in verse 7 of Philippians 3. These assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, pretty strong, 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, which is really no righteousness at all. We know that the Bible teaches that that righteousness before God is like filthy rags, the prophet Isaiah says. But because I have the righteousness, and this is what I talked about before we started worship, that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And we'll get to that last phrase of verse 11 actually next week when we talk about the pursuit of Paul's life. But what I want to talk to us tonight about is the perspective of Paul's life. And, and it all sort of filters down into when we have this perspective, there's going to be four things happening in our life, and, and it's not like one happens, they all sort of happen because they're all tied together. You, you can't separate these four things that Paul talks about here that really illustrate for us and describe a Christ-centered life, but it starts with the right perspective, and notice what that perspective is back up in verse 8. Paul says, whatever else is out there in life, whatever the devil offers me, Remember the devil offered even Jesus when he was tempted, all the kingdoms of the world, whatever the devil offers me, whatever the world offers me, whatever any other human being offers me. Paul said, all of that I consider to be a liability compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, if we could somehow sort of engrave those 10 words or tattoo those 10 words or whatever, and what, I, what 10 words am I talking about? the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because Paul is saying there, knowing him is, surpasses everything else. It is the highest thing of value that you and I can be involved with on this earth and in this life. Basically, Paul is saying Jesus and anything associated with Jesus and bringing me closer to Jesus is better than anything else. That's the value. And that's the perspective we have to start with if we're going to have a Christ-centered life. Otherwise, we're going to always be continually giving in to other offers and to throw our time and our energy and our effort and resources into other things that are of lesser value than Jesus. It has to start there, that the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ and knowing him and gaining him and being found in him and being like him is more valuable than anything else I could be involved in. And that's where my life starts. And then everything else then filters out from that. And that's exactly what Jesus taught in a much more succinct form in Matthew 6.33 when he says to his followers, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all those other things will be added. In other words, if we get the main thing, the main thing, and if we keep the main thing, the main thing, which is Jesus Christ and our relationship with him, then everything else will settle out the where it needs to. And that also means that if I don't have time or energy or effort for this other thing, so be it, Paul says. Then it wasn't worth more than Jesus Christ was, you see. 
It starts there. The far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So with that perspective, again, notice then, Paul in these verses is sharing with us, well, what is the evidence of a Christ-centered life that puts the value of Jesus Christ above everything else? I've already shared them with you, but I want to go back and just point them out, and then we'll go back and talk about each one. It's about knowing Christ Jesus. It's about gaining Christ in verse 8 at the end. It's about, at the beginning of verse 9, being found in him. And then finally, in verse 10, being like him. The four evidences of a Christ-centered life. Let's start with knowing Christ. This is the word in the original language. It speaks about a first-hand experiential knowledge. You see, it's the kind of knowledge that we've talked about in previous studies that, that speaks to really the, our fellowship with Jesus. Our time with him, our time walking with him, talking with him in his presence. When I think about that concept, I can't help but think about my own dad. Because one of his favorite hymns was in the garden. And that hymn talks about how he would just walk with Jesus through the garden. And just be in the presence of Jesus and be there. And that it was very personal and it was very intimate. That's what knowing Christ is. I can't really know Christ in this way from somebody else. I mean, I can learn certain things about the Christian life and the Christian walk and things about the Bible and that, but, but in order to really have an intimate understanding and knowledge of my Jesus, you and I have to walk that walk ourselves alone. It's got to be firsthand experiential knowledge. I can't rely on someone else's knowledge of Jesus to pass on to me. Jesus wants to walk with you and me. He wants to walk with each of us individually, which then comes back to the fact when we talk about value, how he then, by that desire in him, values each of us. Do you think about that? It's not like Jesus says, I only value certain people, and if they get close to me, then they can pass me on to others. No. Which, if you think about that now, think about that. Isn't that the way some faiths and some religions operate? Not everybody has equal access to God, but has to go through certain, you know, people, and we'll just say saints and priests and all these things, and then finally, because they have a connection to God, then I can, I can somehow get to God through them. No, no, no. Jesus says to all of us, you're all that valuable to me. You're all that significant to me. I want to walk with each of you. I want to spend time with each of you. I want each of you in my presence. I want each of you to have that personal time with me. And the great thing about our God, and I can't explain how he does this, he can make time for each of us when we want it. He's never too busy. He never tells us to come back, you know, at a later time, whatever. He always has time for us when we make time for him. And that's what knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, is all about. And Paul says, that firsthand experiential knowledge, that, that intimacy that I have with Jesus, there's nothing better than that, he says. That, that is far greater than anything else I could be spending my time doing. 
is making sure that I'm connecting with Jesus every day, that I'm doing it, that I'm spending time with Jesus. That's one of the great aspects of a Christ-centered life, you see. It's not only desiring that myself, that I want to be with Jesus, but it's also coming to the realization and accepting the fact that Jesus wants to be with me. You see. So that's the first. But then notice Paul goes on to say, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Indeed, I regard them as dung that I may gain Christ. So Paul says a Christ-centered life isn't just illustrated by knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. It's by gaining him. What's that mean? The word literally means to make an investment. Making an investment in Jesus. You say, well, give me a little bit more. Well, in the language, it also speaks about gaining is like trading up. It's exchanging. It, it's literally going through life with this mentality. Better put my Bible down down or I'll be throwing my Bible around. Um, it's, it's realizing that in life, I'm always going to be as a Christian confronted with choices and decisions and, and with setting my priorities in life. And so what Paul is saying is, is in a Christ-centered life, I realize that I have to say no to other things. That's counting all those as liabilities so that I can gain Christ. So I can't say yes to everything and still gain Christ because then that would take me away from the time and energy and effort that I want with Christ. So that means I've got to say no to other things. And I've shared this with you before. One of my mentors years ago said that our lives at the end of our life will be defined more by what we said no to than what we said yes to. Because it's in being able to say no to so many other things that we can narrow the focus of our life and really go after what really matters, what's of greatest value. And so I know this is a very unspiritual illustration, but it's one that came to my mind. And I'm not even a card player, so I don't know where I got this from. Picture in your hand, all of us have all these cards. And we start out in life with a certain deck of cards. And as we go through, like I said, we're confronted with choices. And this idea of gaining Christ, exchanging or trading up would be, okay, I'm holding a card in my hand, and that card's not Jesus. And now I'm at a point, though, in, in this where I can trade that card in, the not gaining of Jesus, the not getting closer to Jesus, the not being engaged with Jesus, the not following Jesus, all that, for something, again, much better in return. Gaining more of Jesus. Being involved in something that's going to bring me closer to Jesus. Being involved in something that is part of his kingdom and his plan. So I trade up. Because what Paul is saying here too is he's saying every time you and I say no to something that, that then allows us to be able to gain more of Christ, we're trading up. We're not really losing, Paul said. That's why he, he says all those things, I count them as dung compared to Jesus. 
So he's saying that when you and I make those decisions and, and sort of evaluate and, 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 you know, put together our priorities for living in each season of life, every time we trade out a card that's not bringing us closer to Jesus, for a card in my life, some kind of involvement, some, something that I'm going to do and some decision or choice I'm going to make that's going to give me more of Jesus, Paul said, that's living a Christ-centered life. Always looking for those ways, those opportunities to gain more. To exchange this activity for an activity that's going to bring me more of Jesus. That's going to bring me closer to Jesus, you see. And Paul's basically saying, I'd trade all those other cards if, if I can have a full deck of Jesus. Because am I really, again, do, can we really have too much Jesus? And that doesn't mean that God wants all of us then like, you know, some religions teach that just, you know, you, me, and Jesus goes off on some mountain and just starts humming and, you know, sitting in the lotus position and just spending time with Jesus all day and not interacting. No, you and I can actually gain more of Jesus by doing the responsibilities that God gives to us and wants us to be involved with. But it's the idea that I'm always conscious that as I go through life and as I go through each day, Am I, am I really involved in something that Jesus wants me to be involved with and who he wants me to be involved with? And, and is this bringing me closer to Jesus? Or, as we're going to say a little bit later, is this helping me to become more like Jesus? If that's true too, then that's a good thing. I'm trading up. I'm going to be involved with that, you see. And I just want to commend you all because we could take you know, you all and your faithfulness to Wednesday night and even on Sunday, those, those decisions to be here, you could be doing something else, right, right now. And some of you, because of your long day at work, you'd probably like to be in your lazy boy right about now, you know, with a cold drink or something and just relaxing. But you, you're trading, right? You're saying, no, you know what, being at church... I'm going to get more of Jesus, and so I'm trading that out. I'm going to trade maybe an hour of sitting in my lazy boy at home and watching a TV show that a million years from now really isn't going to matter, and I'm going to come to the house of God, and I'm going to worship my God, and I'm going to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm going to get into God's Word because I'm trading up when I do that, you see. That's a Christ-centered life. making those eternal investments, if you will, going back to the investment concept of that word gain. In fact, this word Jesus used in the illustration of the rich man when he said, it's possible for a person to gain the what? The whole world and lose his own soul. You, you and I can make investments in all kinds of stuff that really at the end of our lives and at the end of eternity isn't going to matter, but no Christian will ever regret making investments in their relationship with Jesus and in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. No Christian will get to heaven and go, well, I wish I was less dedicated and committed. That ain't, that ain't not going to happen. In fact, it's going to be just the opposite, probably. Then, I love this, verse 9. Paul says, and be found in him. And then he goes on talking about the fact the only way I can be found in him initially is not by trying to achieve being found in him by my own effort, 
but by resting in what he did for me on the cross and subsequent resurrection. But this concept of being found in him is way more than that. The word speaks about being detected or recognized by others. Don't miss it. See, this isn't now so much about us, although it is, because Paul's saying, if I'm living a Christ-centered life and I'm going after knowing him and I'm going after gaining him each and every day, then I will be found in him. Meaning that other people around me, my family, my friends, my coworkers, neighbors, all they'll begin to see the difference that me being with Jesus so much is making. And they'll start to see that there are, are things that I'm able to do to say, seasons of life that I'm able to navigate, and especially if they're an unbeliever, they'll be like pulling their hair out going, how are they able to do that? Because it's almost supernatural. How, how can they have that peace? The peace that passes all understanding. How can they be so joyful? And the explanation is because, hmm, wonder if they've been hanging around that Jesus fella. And he's starting to rub off on them. Now, keep your finger there, and let me give you a biblical illustration of this being found in him. Go back to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13. This is the story about where they are really confronting Peter and John about not speaking anymore in the name of Jesus, and they're really upsetting everybody, and the religious leaders are all upset. And I love this. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And remember, the word found means to be detected or recognized by others. So I don't have to, as a Christian, focus on, well, I'm, I, I just, no. All we have to do is be with Jesus. And our witness, if you will, will take care of itself. Because our light is actually his light within us. That's why he says, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, you're the light of the world. Because our light isn't our light. Our light is his light that's shining through us, you see. So all we have to do is spend time with Jesus and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make a difference. It just is. That's why the Bible is so heavy on who we even hang around with as other human beings. Remember Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with the wise will be what? Wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. Even who we hang around with in a, on a human level begins to rub off on us. You hang around a cranky person, you might end up being cranky. You hang around a person that's Happy and joyful, you probably will tend to start influencing you that way. Well, the same thing is true with our God. The more time we spend with God, guess what? The more we start to look like him and act like him and talk like him. And the more others begin to recognize that you've been with Jesus, haven't you? And that's exactly true of Peter and John. Notice Acts 4.13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, because this was way beyond what they were either expecting or had ever seen in them or even something supernatural, a supernatural confidence and discovered that they were uneducated and ordinary men. Where, where did this confidence, where did this fearlessness come from? They were amazed and then what? Recognized these men had been with Jesus. That's where they got it from. They'd been with Jesus, 
And those three years with Jesus began to change them. It was detectable. There was evidence there. It was solid evidence. That's being found in him. That's a Christ-centered life. Not only when we go after knowing Christ and we go after gaining Christ, but where others around us can detect that we've been with Jesus because we're not the same person that we used to be before we start spending so much time with Jesus in his presence. You see. And then finally, if you go back to Philippians chapter 3, Notice then Paul says in verse 10, and we'll come back to parts of this next week in a pursuit because that's part of what Paul talks about in verse 10, my aim. He says, my aim is to know him, to experience the power, the supernatural power of his resurrection. Is it possible for us as Christians to experience supernatural power in our life? Absolutely. If, if we live a Christ-centered life. Because again, it's not our power, just like it's not our light, it's his power and to share in his sufferings. It literally means to partner in his pain. Now, folks, this is more than just I'm suffering for the cause of Christ. That's not really what Paul's emphasizing here. What he's emphasizing is developing the heart of Jesus to grieve over the things that grieves the heart of Jesus, to, to be in pain over the things that brings pain to Jesus to suffer with Jesus over things. Do, do we not think Jesus is touched? He absolutely is. Do we not think even now Jesus looks down from heaven and is grieved? When we know that the scriptures even teach that Jesus was weeping outside of the city of Jerusalem, saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you didn't want me. And tears were streaming down his cheeks. Jesus is emotional. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we are sealed to the day of redemption. We can grieve God. God experiences pain. And when Paul says, I want to I share in his sufferings, what he's really saying is, God, I want your heart. I want the kind of heart that you have. I want the kind of compassion that you have. I want the sympathy and the empathy. And I, I want to be able to hurt when others are hurting. I want to be able to rejoice when others are rejoicing, but, but God, I want to be able to enter in like you enter into our pain and our suffering and all of that, and that you're willing to be there and do something about it. And then Paul says this, ultimately, to be like him, even up to the point of his death. Being willing to go all the way and follow the will of the Father. By the way, to be like him literally means to be fashioned after or conformed to him. And isn't that what Paul taught was the goal of our salvation in Romans 8, 29? The goal of our salvation wasn't just to be saved and give us all a ticket to heaven and have our sins forgiven, and even, as we saw, talked earlier about tonight, to receive the righteousness of Christ. The goal of our salvation, according to Romans 8, 29, is he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his dear son. That's the goal of our salvation. Not just to know Jesus Christ, but to be like Jesus Christ in the ways that you and I as human beings can be like Jesus. As I've taught before, 
We cannot share what, what we call in theology the incommunicable attributes of God, meaning those attributes that only God has that he cannot share with anybody else because they are part of his deity. Like we can never be omnipotent. We can never be omniscient. We can never be omnipresent. Those are things that only God can be. So we can't be like God in that way. But if you study the fruit of the Spirit, that's how you and I can be like God. We can love like God. We can be joyful like God. We can have the peace of God. We can have the self-control of God. We can have the kindness of God and the goodness of God. We can display that fruit that is produced in our hearts as we yield to the Holy Spirit of God. That's how we can be like him, you see. And that's living a Christ-centered life. And the reason I said earlier, these aren't individual separate things. Paul is saying these, all four of these are evidences of a Christ-centered life, and they're all tied together. If I'm knowing Christ, then I'm gaining him. If I'm knowing him and I'm gaining him, then I'll be found in him. And if I'm knowing him and gaining him and found in him, then I'll be like him. They're all tied together. They're inseparable. The one just leads into the other, which leads into the other, which leads into the other. But it all starts with the proper perspective of the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That anything that brings you and I closer to Jesus, anything that gets us more of Jesus, that's of greater value than anything else I could be involved with or spend my time doing or spend my energy and my money and my effort in doing. One other thing, and then if she's okay with this, I'd like Nicole to come back up and do a song to close. But I want to end with this. Verse 14. I'm skipping a little bit ahead into next week, but I, I want to share this with you because it ties in with tonight's message as well. Paul then down in verse 14, because we're going to talk next week not only about the perspective, but about his pursuit and our pursuit. He says, with this goal in mind, continually focused upon this goal, and we'll talk about that next week, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word strive means to earnestly pursue something. Obviously, this goal. The only thing I could come up with, too, and I guess because I've had hound dogs, when I've had dogs in my life, both as a child myself, and then when our kids were younger, we had hound dogs. And Paul's basically saying, that's how we have to live the Christian life, like a hound on a hunt. You know those bloodhounds that, like, they get a scent, and their nose goes to the ground, and, man, it doesn't come up until they, it, they can't smell it anymore? Paul's saying, that's how I pursue this goal. I'm like a hound on a hunt. I, I, won't, I won't turn my nose up and go another direction until I come to the end of it, you see. But here's what else Paul's saying. He's saying that the prize or the reward is both the pursuit itself and what it leads us to. And we'll talk again more about that next week, but here's what I want to end with tonight. And this, this is something that we as Christians need to come to grips with. Because sometimes we miss the mark simply because we're aiming, our goal is the wrong thing. See, what Paul's saying here is, if we're going after love, we won't find it. 
But if we go after Jesus, we'll find it. If we're going after joy, we won't find joy. But if we go after Jesus, we'll find all the joy we want. If we're going after peace, we'll never find peace. But if we go after Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, we'll find all the peace we ever wanted. You see, everything that you and I want or desire or need, all of it is found in Jesus. And so all these things that maybe we spend time pursuing, if it's not really Jesus that we're pursuing, then we end up on that sort of dead-end road where it's like we become disillusioned and dissatisfied and discouraged because like the pot of gold wasn't at the end of that because somehow we've left Jesus out. And that's why I really want to come right down to it and I love all the songs that we sang tonight because it just again reminds us of that Christ. The Christian life really in essence is pretty simple, which is why Paul told the Corinthians, don't ever make the Christian life too... There's a simplicity in Christ. When you and I just concentrate on knowing Christ, gaining Christ, being found in Him, and being like Him, everything else takes care of itself. Everything we ever wanted and ever needed, we can find in one person, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Could we stand, please, and pray? And then I want to spend the time just ending our night in worship tonight as we worship our Lord. God, we thank you tonight for reminding us that, Lord, there's no one or nothing more valuable of greater worth both in this life and the life to come than Jesus is. And God, the fact that we even have the opportunity to know him, to gain him, to be found in him and to be like him is incredible. What incredible truth. What an incredible opportunity. And I pray, God, that here at the Oasis, both as a church and as individuals, God, that we would seize the opportunity we've been given. Because again, the prize and the reward, as Paul says in Philippians 3.14, is both the pursuit itself and what it leads to, which it leads to Jesus. All roads lead to Jesus Christ. If we're living a Christ-centered life. And so I pray tonight, God, that all of us, Lord, would just be led right back to you. The Lord, as I started out with, that we'd be like that little child that just sits at your feet, God. What did Jesus tell Martha? One thing is needed, Martha. And Mary chose what was needed. Sitting at my feet in fellowship with me. That's the one thing. And God, we're getting ready to go into an even busy time of the year. Lord, I just pray that as Christians, and especially here at the Oasis, that we would pause and not get so busy, God, that we leave you out. We should never, as Christians, be too busy for you, Jesus. We should never fill our schedules so full that there's no room for you, Jesus. Help us, God, to make room for you in this season and every season. Help us to make it about you. Enable us to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is you, Jesus. These things we pray in your name. Amen.